You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We've been talking about weariness in the life of a believer. Um, we've specifically shown you as elders um, some of the temptation that we've had to grow weary and some of the things that we're doing to fight against that weariness. Galatians chapter 6 talks specifically about us not growing weary in our well-doing, um, that we continue to sow, trusting that we will reap if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3 specifically talks about not growing weary as well in our well-doing, um, specifically tied to the ministry within the church and, and not seeing results as we want to and, and fighting through that. Um, our summary sentences from the last couple of weeks, we said that as we press on to do good while waiting for Jesus to return, we must anticipate the possibilities of weariness and make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs. Um, that when we identify ourselves growing weary, we need to recognize it, identify it, and make steps to fight against it. We talk specifically about identifying the factors that are causing the weariness, seeking to make changes personally, potentially asking others to make changes in your life as well. And then what Paul tells us in Galatians is we strive to find more ways to do good. When we grow weary in doing good, we look for new opportunities to do good, that we fight against that weariness, not by taking a break, not by taking a vacation, not by relaxing ourselves, but instead striving to do good. Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, we said, my time in the word, my time in prayer, and my time with others will determine whether I stand firm or grow weary in my personal life. We talked about the, the importance of the type of people that we spend with. Uh, who, who are we around? Who are the main influences in our, in our life? Um, they will oftentimes shape whether or not we grow weary or not in our well-doing. The time that we spend in prayer, asking others to pray for us, us intentionally praying for others, our time in the Word, all of those things together help us fight against weariness. Last week, we saw that our labor will not be in vain. Even if we feel like our labor is not producing the results that we desire, our labor will not be in vain. At times, my Christian labor may feel in vain, but the assurances of the resurrection should motivate me to press on in obedience, knowing that rest and validation will come. We saw that from 1 Corinthians 15, that the resurrection guarantees our Christian labor will not be in vain, but we also recognize there's some real threats to our Christian labor, right? We talked about false teachers ruining some of the things that we strive to do. We talked about sin springing up in the lives of others that we've invested in and it, and it uh, hindering the labor that we've put into their life. We've talked about laziness towards sanctification. We even talked from the book of Psalms, our own pride sometimes can cause our labor to be in vain. And uh, we identified some ways to fight against that. Today, I want us to look at the last in our series on weariness, talking about the importance of spiritual leadership within the church. Specifically because we've talked about the spiritual leadership growing weary, we also admitted that there may be many of you that feel a similar weariness in your own Christian life. And so wanting to see how God has given spiritual leadership to the church for the good of all if obedience occurs towards the spiritual leadership. All right, so from a summary sentence standpoint this morning, to go ahead and get us started, and then you'll also see the kids' summary sentence there as well. Obedience to spiritual leadership within the church helps ensure the perseverance of each believer, and it increases the joy of those who will one day give an account for their labors. Obedience to spiritual leadership within the church helps ensure the perseverance of each believer. And it increases the joy of those who will one day give an account 
for their labors. For our kids, church leaders are a tool that God uses to keep me believing in Jesus so it's good for me to obey them. Church leaders are a tool that God uses to keep me believing in Jesus so it is good for me to obey them. As you're writing that down, I don't know how many of you have studied the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is full of warnings to believers to not wander from the faith, to not drift from the faith. Um, it's full of warnings that, that, that cause a, or cry out to a Christian to cling to Jesus, to cling to the faith that they've been taught. The purpose for Hebrews, the purpose for the book of Hebrews, we don't know the author, but as you read through the book, it's, it's very easy to start to pick up on the fact the purpose is to help people not shrink back from their faith and have their souls destroyed, but rather to persevere in faith to the end and preserve their soul. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. I'll go ahead and put that purpose up there for you so you can at least visualize it. The author says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So Hebrews is all about enduring in the faith, persevering in the faith, heeding the warnings that would cause us to drift away from the faith. And so the author of Hebrews writes in such a way that he wants to see believers make it to the end, right? And we, we've talked about this in our series on weariness. As leaders, man, we desire to pour into the life of our church, to pour into the life of each individual believer in our church. Paul talks about this wanting to stand on that day when Jesus comes back and to be standing with those that you've invested your life into and know my labor has not been in vain. These people stand with me on that glorious day when Jesus comes back, as we've sang about this morning, to raise to life those that have died in their faith, to usher them into eternity. We want to know that our labor is not in vain and the book of Hebrews is written to help people stay true to the faith, to endure, to persevere until the very end. And so we'll see that purpose in the context of spiritual leadership. Uh, the author of Hebrews has not really talked about leadership within the church until he gets to chapter 13. It's been heavy on stay true to Christ. Do not wander from the faith for, for 12 chapters. And then we get into chapter 13. And in verse 1 it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right off the bat here in this chapter, we see probably really three uh, three commands here from the author of Hebrews to the people. He tells them to be hospitable. He tells them to be pure. He tells them to be under control, right? He tells them to be hospitable, to, to show uh, hospitality to strangers, to show care to those who are in less fortunate situations. 
He talks about the purity aspect of being a believer, that, that the, marriage, the marriage bed is to be undefiled, right? That they're to, they're to pursue healthy, pure relationships with each other. They're to maintain purity within their marriages, and they're to keep their life free from the love of money, to be content with what they have. Man, when I read those, I was immediately drawn to the qualifications of spiritual leadership within the church, right? Because those are, those are three key aspects to someone who is to lead well within the local church. Now, we've talked about this before. Everybody, I think, is supposed to be aspiring to the qualifications of leadership within the church. They are uh, character traits that, that are really signs of sanctification in the life of a believer, it's not something that, that should be an anomaly within the church. It should be, man, from a large pool of people that possess these qualities, call out from amongst them leaders to lead your church well. It shouldn't be, man, we are desperately looking for people that meet these qualifications. It should be something that we're all aspiring to be. In fact, when, when I, had the chance, um, I had the chance for the very first time to speak to the high school students at Trinity recently, and... Uh, the guy who heads up the chapels told me to, to speak on leadership and to speak on what it means to be a leader. And so I immediately just went to the qualifications of leadership and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you guys the qualifications of being an elder and a deacon. And for a lot of you, that's gonna seem weird because you're, you're in ninth grade, 10th grade, like you're nowhere near being a deacon or an elder in a church and you may not even fully understand what that means. I said, but what I want you to know, understand is that God always looks for high character, high quality people to lead his people. I said, so while this is in the context of elders and deacons, this is what you should be pursuing as a ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader, so that one day when you are in a local church, you are a part of that pool that is qualified to lead a church if God sees fit for your life, right? These qualifications are given here in the form of commands to the people. Be hospitable, be pure in your relationships, and be under control, don't let money control you. Don't let the drive for money or the drive for possessions control the way that you spend your time, right? Be free from that. Be content with what you have. And so he even describes what good leadership looks like in the form of these commands here. So we confidently say, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You skip down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want us to see this morning how God gifts to the local church leadership. And it's given to the local church for the good of all, right? Like leaders aren't just a gift to the church. The church is a gift to leaders as well. That this, this relationship between leaders and members within the church is meant to function in such a way where it's good for all involved. It is a, it is a tool that God uses to keep us persevering in our faith. Let's begin first by looking at the aim of spiritual leadership. The aim of spiritual leadership. For our kids, church leaders help take care of me. Church leaders help take care of me. The aim of spiritual leadership. You see in verse 17 that there's a call to obey the leaders of the church and to submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage 
to you. The implication there is that there is an advantage to spiritual leadership when the relationship is healthy. When the leaders are doing as they are to do and when the members are doing as they are to do, it is an advantage. When there's a breakdown in that relationship, the advantages decrease. The implication there is that there is an advantage for why God gives leadership to the church. And I want us to see that. First of all, the present joy of the leader and the follower at stake. The present joy of the leader and the follower. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, see, we're very clear to pick out the fact that in Hebrews 13, there's an idea of obeying your leaders and letting them lead with joy and not with groaning, and it, and it looking like, well, okay, so it's all about the leadership's joy. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul is describing his role as a church leader, and he says in verse 23, but I called God, call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So he chooses not to come to Corinth in some of his anger towards some of their actions. It says in verse 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul's talking about how he doesn't lord his leadership or his authority over these people. He doesn't want to be perceived as, as a dictator-type authority in their life. But he wants, them to, he wants them to see him as, as an active presence in their life that's fighting for their joy. He says, I work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. So there's an aspect that we see in Hebrews where, man, as the church, as the church membership responds to its leadership, it gives joy to the leader to keep pressing on in his actions, to keep doing the type of things that God's called him to do. Right, like it's fuel for his ministry to see the people that he's leading follow. There's great joy in that that comes from leading people that want to obey and submit and follow. But lest we think that it's all about the leadership's joy, Paul says, man, as church leaders, we are fighting for your joy. We want you to find joy in your relationship to Christ as you endure and persevere in the faith. The existence of spiritual leadership is meant to be profitable or an advantage for the people that are in the context of the local church with church leadership, right? Like it's given to the church as an advantage to them, the author of Hebrews says. Why isn't it an advantage? Why is it good for spiritual leadership to be present within the church? Some things I think that are very clear from this passage. The people receive instructional teaching from God's word. Right Through leadership, through a perceived understanding that these are the, the individuals that are leading our church, they are the ones that are responsible for showing up and being prepared to teach when we gather, it ensures that you're able to come under instructional teaching from God's word, right? Because there's leadership in place, you fully expect to come here on a Sunday morning and somebody be prepared to teach, Right? There's an expectation that someone's going to teach when you get here, and if there was no leadership in place, we would just be hoping that somebody had a word to say. Right? You may have been in, in situations before where Bible studies, where it was just meant for people to gather and to kind of share what they were learning, and maybe sometimes you got together and, and nobody really had anything to share. Like It wasn't clear who was to be responsible for that that week, and so you kind of get together and everybody's just kind of, eh, I don't really have anything. 
Right? There's an expectation that when we gather on Sunday mornings, because there's leadership in place, instructional teaching will take place from God's word. We also see that people will receive real life examples and models to follow. Right? The idea here is that you are to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Right? The, the, the Bible's saying, man, we want people in place leading the church so that younger Christians can see what it looks like to have the faith lived out. There ought to be people in place that it's understood these are the type of people that you can imitate and follow. Instructional teaching, examples to follow, outside security for your soul's well-being, right? It's, it's more than just, hey, you can show up and expect someone to be here to teach, and you can expect that that person's going to have a life that's free from sin or at least is, is demonstrating, man, they're fighting sin, they're not tolerating sin. But we could have guest speakers that did that right? Like we could just bring in a different person every week to teach God's word, and, and they could be the type of person, if you looked them up, they would, they would be the type of person that you wanted to be like. But the other benefit to there being real, tangible leadership within the local church is there's this extra security for your soul. There is somebody who is watching after you, right? somebody who is watching after you. It's why when you join our church, we ask you to tell us people that if you ever wander, if you ever drift from the faith, these are the type of people that you would want to come after you to talk some sense into you when you've given yourself over to sin. It's the type of people that, that you would say, hey, when I'm not making sense anymore, when I'm making choices and decisions that are inconsistent with what I'm saying right now as I join this church, Send these people to come get me, right? Like that, that's, an, that's an example how we as elders want to make sure that your souls are cared for here at Sovereign Hope Church. We want to make sure that if you ever wander or deviate from the faith and begin to yield yourself to sin, that we know exactly how to come and get you. We know the people that you consider to be the closest people to you in this church that we can say, hey, go get that person. They're wandering, they're drifting, Local leadership within the church gives you outside security for your soul's well-being. The response to spiritual leadership is meant to be joyful for the leaders. So while we fight for your joy, the response that the membership gives to the leadership is meant to be joyful for the leaders. The leaders have their joy increase as a result of the people's progress and perseverance. The people will experience decreased advantages if their leadership lacks joy in leading. That's, that's, the, that's the encouragement here from the author of Hebrews. He says, man, follow your leaders well. Listen to them, obey them, because otherwise they'll have to start leading in such a way that, that they're, they're lacking in joy because they're not, they're not seeing a response. And that's just not an advantage to you, right? Like there's great advantage in leadership within the church, but if that leadership is not, is not feeling the joy of leading, man, it's a disadvantage. It's a disadvantage, so the present joy of the leader and the follower is the aim of spiritual leadership. But then secondly, the future accountability of the soul is also tied to spiritual leadership here. The church needs leadership that is beneficial in helping it persevere in the faith by providing examples who are worth being watched and who are intentional to watch over others. Let me say that again. 
ch- the church, the local church needs leadership, beneficial leadership, right? Advantageous leadership. Why? Because that leadership helps the church persevere in its faith by giving it examples to follow, by giving it examples who are worth watching. But that leadership also is intentional to watch over those within the church. Mark 13, 13. Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right, like Jesus talks about our faith lasting until he comes back. That's the sign of our salvation, that we endure in the faith. The church needs to endure in its faith, and it needs help in that process through local leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Actually, we'll start reading in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Look at the responsibility that Paul gives to Timothy here. He says, you've got a responsibility as a leader within the church. You're not trying to endure yourself. You're trying to endure yourself and cause other people to endure as well. Right? Paul says, Timothy, you've been given to this church, and here's what you need to do. You need to take careful attention to your own life and be an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Don't neglect to teach and to prophesy. Use the gifts that have been given to you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Let others see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and making sure that you teach. Why? because you're going to save the people that hear you. They're going to endure in the faith because of your ministry within that local church. The local church needs leadership because as Jesus said, endurance to the end is what, what shows that we're saved. And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy here, the local church leadership is the tool that God uses to keep people persevering in the faith. That, 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 that example to follow, that instructional teaching in God's word, the, the constant pointing people to Jesus. The leadership will give an account for their teaching and for their lifestyle. That's very clear from these passages. As leadership, we're gonna give an account to God one day. We're gonna give an account for the lifestyle that we upheld. Were we, were we a good example for people to follow? And were we faithful to teach as a means of watching over the souls of those entrusted to us. That's the aim of spiritual leadership. The joy of everyone in this room, the joy of the leader in leading as we point people to Jesus as we endure in our faith. How does that work? What's the method look like for spiritual leadership? For our kids, church leaders help me know the Bible. They give me an example to follow and they help watch over me. The method of spiritual leadership we see several things here that we've already mentioned. First of all, spiritual leaders are called to faithfully speak the word of God. To faithfully speak the word of God. 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Spiritual leaders have been given a message that is not their own. Spiritual leaders do not just have authority, they are under authority. I mean, that's so important. For, for, for leadership to be functioning like it's supposed to in the local church, it's not people that now lord their opinions or their preferences over the church membership, right? There's an authority that comes with local church leadership, but it's an authority that rests under the authority of God because what's being communicated, what is the basis for the leadership? It's the word of God. Spiritual leaders help people keep on believing God's word so they do not drift away. Hebrews chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Author of Hebrews, concerned about the endurance of the believers in their faith. Pay close attention to what you've heard, lest you drift away from it. Spiritual leaders have been given to the church to help people keep on believing God's word so they don't drift away. Faithfully speak the word of God. Number two, humbly model the life of Christ. Humbly model the life of Christ. Spiritual leaders have been given a way of life that is not their own, right? Like as leaders, we don't call you to live like us. We call you to to live like us as we strive to live like Christ. Spiritual leaders point others to Jesus through their own choices and decisions in life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Man, the book, of, the book of Hebrews has just listed off like countless people who are great examples from the Old Testament, right? Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith, these individuals who have demonstrated great faith in their life. Here in Hebrews 12, we're told that they kind of serve like a, like a stadium audience as we run and persevere in our own faith, but we're not told to, to keep our eyes on them. We're not told to aspire to be like those that have gone before us, right? We're told to keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. How do we not grow weary or faint-hearted? We keep our eyes on Jesus who endured from sinners hostility against himself, Right? So as, as leaders, man, we want to point you to see Jesus because we want your faith to be perfected. And who better to keep your eyes on than the perfecter of the faith? Right? So, so our desire is to make choices and decisions in our life that serve as an example to you of what Jesus looks like so that you endure in your faith, so that you continue to progress in your faith. Spiritual leaders have a great responsibility in conduct because others are expected to watch them. Man, that's why I try to share with you as much as possible personal things that I go through so that you know how I'm dealing with those things, how I'm handling those things as a means for your faith and trust to increase in God, right? An example this week, man, I prayed something very specific to God, something very specific to God, and he, and he chose not to answer it the way that I asked him to. I have no idea why. I have no idea why. It wasn't one of those where, 
man, I'm going to pray this, and it could go either way. Like, I don't really know what God's will. Like, to me, there was no reason not to answer it the way that I asked him to answer it, and he chose not to. And then that was disappointing, right? Like, it was disappointing because I'm just like, why, why not answer it the way that I asked you to answer it? Like, something very personal to me, something that, that, um, that was just very, very important to me, and he chose not to answer it. Um, and so, so I was kind of dealing with that, trying to figure out, like, why? why? Why not? And I have no answer for why not. But what I'm drawn back to is the assurance that, man, God works, works things for good, right? Like God works everything for the good of his children. So even in my mind, if I had a scenario in my mind that this is the best way for this to work out and God chooses to do it differently, man, I've got to trust that that's, that's for my good. That, that disappointment that I feel is for my good, right? We need people in place within the church that can share how we are wrestling through the difficulties of the Christian life as an example for others to follow, to humbly model the life of Christ. Number three, to lovingly care for the perseverance of the believers. Talking about how does, how does the spiritual leader lead within the church? He speaks God's word. He models the life of Christ, and he lovingly cares for the perseverance of believers. Spiritual leaders are called to labor for, the, uh, for others' endurance, not just their own. Spiritual leaders labor for others' endurance, not just their own. They assume serious responsibility for others. We've been given a message that's not our own. We've been given a way of life that's not our own. And we labor for others' endurance, not just our own. Spiritual leaders establish an environment to ensure the spiritual care of everyone. So here's the thing, while we are called to care for each soul, oftentimes it's not possible for us to know you intimately to care for every need that you have. It is our job to make sure that our church is set up in such a way to make sure that you're cared for. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 23 through 25. Like this is what you should be able to expect when you come and gather at this church, really any church. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You ought to be able to gather in such a way with a local church that it leads to your great encouragement. It leads to you being stirred up to love and good works. I was having a conversation recently um, with a guy, or uh, with a bunch of youth pastors, and I was asking him, I said, one of the things that we do at Trinity is we try to really steer clear of doctrinal discussions with our students. And so when they have questions, we're often very quick to, to reference them. Talk to your youth pastor about that. Talk to your youth leader about that. Um, and so I just, I challenged him. I said, uh, I want to make sure that you guys have set your ministries up to where that's actually plausible for a kid to walk into your ministry and know where to go if they have questions or concerns or if they're, if they're battling something. Like, is that set up within your church to do that? One of the youth pastors looked at me real, real honestly and said, dude, I don't know where I'm supposed to do that in my local church as a man. He said, I don't really know where I'm supposed to go to beyond just, you know, hey, I'm supposed to go talk to the pastor. He said, we don't have a structure in place where if I'm a man struggling with specific sins in my life, I don't have any way for that to be resolved. He said, I don't know who I'm supposed to go to for that. I don't have anything set up in my life in our church to know how to resolve that. And so I began to share with him. I said, well, here's what we do at our church, right? Like we have, we have small groups, but within those small groups, we have accountability groups. Like we want every member of our church meeting with other men, other women, for accountability. Why? Because we as elders can't do it for everybody. 
right? Like we just can't. I remember at Mount Gilead, Tyson and I were trying to meet with every single guy in our, in our youth group for accountability. Just not possible. Just not possible, right? But as leadership, we do have a responsibility to make sure that you can be cared for, that there is a structure in place that will care for your soul. Now, it necessitates your obedience. It necessitates your submission, right? Like we can't make you meet with accountability groups. We can't make you come to C groups. We can't make you do some of these things. But I think when, when I stand before Jesus one day and I give an account for your soul, am I gonna give an account for the fact that you didn't give up your sin? I don't think so. I can't, I can't control your heart. Am I gonna give an account as to whether or not I set up a structure in place where your soul was able to be cared for if you were obedient? Yeah, that's what I do think I'm gonna give an account for. All right? Spiritual leaders labor for others' endurance, not just their own. They establish an environment to ensure the spiritual care of everyone. That's how we try to lead here speaking the word of God to you, modeling the life of Christ, lovingly caring for your perseverance. Now, what about the response to church leadership, to spiritual leadership? What does that look like? For our kids, church leaders should be people I can trust, imitate, and obey. The implication from this passage is that remember your leaders, trust them, imitate them, and obey them. The response to church leadership or to spiritual leadership First off, trust the motives of your elders or your leaders. They want what's good for you, right? Like if we're talking about leadership and and the goal and the aim of spiritual leadership is to fight for your joy, to fight for your endurance, to fight for your perseverance. I mean, you ought to be able to trust anything and everything that we do from a leadership standpoint that, that would be tied to that, right? Like we want these things for you. We want to stand with you on the day that Jesus comes back You can trust our motives. We want what's good for you. Now, what I do think is implied here in Hebrews chapter 13 is that don't just take the lip service from me that that's our motive. Consider it and make sure that's the case. Consider and evaluate the heart of your leadership in order to motivate your desire to submit to them. This is important because some elders can go rogue in their reasoning. Some elders can go rogue in their reasoning right? Like no longer are they motivated by the things they should be motivated in their leadership, right? Like I'm telling you, you can trust my motive as a leader because I want what's good for you. I want you to persevere and endure to the end. I don't want you to drift away from the faith. I want you to make it to the day that Jesus comes back. But there's the possibility that I could deviate from that, and you ought to be aware of that when it happens. First Peter chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being an example to the flock. Man, you need to evaluate me, Tyson, Adam McLeod, constantly, to make sure that our motives don't shift from what I'm telling you the motive should be in our leadership. Everything that we ask you to do, everything we ask this church to do, every direction we take this church in ought to be for your endurance in the faith. It ought to be to add to our numbers believers who would then endure in the faith as well. And if that motive ever shifts, if we are ever leading in such a way that it's for shameful gain, if we're ever making decisions that benefit us financially, 
if we ever do anything that's domineering to you, abusing our authority, you don't need to obey us. You don't need to submit to us. We've deviated from the biblical purpose of the leadership that God has given to us. But there is an implication here that you ought to be able to trust our motives as leaders. Number two, you ought to be able to imitate the examples of your leaders. We're striving to follow Jesus, and we want you to do the same. But you should consider and evaluate the life of your leadership in order to help motivate your desire to submit. Right? So, again, don't just take lip service. Like, examine us. Right? Like, examine us. Are our motives right? Are we striving to give you an example that's worth following? Again, some elders can go rogue in their living, and that needs to be noted in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19. Well, let's start in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Right? It's why we only pay people when they preach on a Sunday morning. Right? Like, we don't have anybody on salary here at Sovereign Hope Church. Not that that's wrong. We've just chosen to do it this way. That, that if you're going to teach and labor in preaching and teaching, then there's a biblical thing here where, where, where you ought to be compensated for that. And so you guys know when budget season's coming up, we've arranged it to where whoever preaches on a Sunday basically gets the same amount that they would if they were guest speaking at some of the local churches in our area that are about the same size, right? We don't ever want it to be for shameful gain. We don't want this to ever be to sustain our lives. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, you could abuse this passage and say don't ever submit a charge against an elder, that, that it would be wrong to ever attack God's leadership. But what it really says is don't, don't listen to a charge against an elder unless there's two to three people that, that agree about this. The implication is there may be times where an elder falls into sin and, and it's known and it needs to be heard, and it needs to be addressed. Because it says right after that, verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And this is specifically talking about church discipline towards an elder. And if you've read through our How We Function documents, you'll know that there's a, there's a, there's a section in there that talks about the removal of an elder from our church. If this ever happens, if we ever have an elder that's involved in, in, in sin and, and does not want to repent, there's a process for removing an elder because we don't want to keep leadership in place that's not worth following, that's not worth imitating, right? You ought to be able to, to trust us that as leaders, then we can follow after their faith. They're pointing us to Jesus. And if that ever stops, then we need to stop being leaders in this church. That's what Paul tells Timothy here. Imitate the examples of your leaders. Number three, Obey the instructions of your leaders. They are leading in response to God's word. And I hope you guys, you guys know and understand that what we try to do every time we ask uh, anything of you, it's motivated from what God's word teaches us. Right? Like even when we talked recently about some of the things that cause us weariness, church attendance, giving, the amount of people showing up to serve when we have service opportunities, those are scriptural things. Those aren't just things that are nice and, and we appreciate them. Those are things that God's word tells us to do, right? Don't neglect to meet together, right? Give out of a cheerful heart, right? Use your gifts as part of the body of Christ to serve each other. Those are things that we desire for you, not because we need those things, not because we need those things, 
I knew a lot of people were going to be out today for vacation. I didn't know who was going to show up this morning. We've got a lot of visitors this morning, right? I don't, I don't need people to show up because I decided I'm preaching whoever shows up. Like on the way, you know, I was telling my kids, hey, Rob and his family are going to be here this morning. I said, and that may be the only other people that are there. I don't know. Like I got a lot of text messages from people to say, today saying, hey, we're out of town. We're out of town. We're out of town. And I told AJ, I said, and if that's the case, man, we're just gonna, I'm just going to preach to you guys. Like that's, that's who's going to be there today. Right? Like, I don't need people to show up. I don't need people to give. I don't need people to show up for service opportunities. Right? Dave and I talked about this. Me and Dave can take the trash up at every Sonoy event without anybody's help. Man, there's something about those things, though, that are meant to help you persevere and endure to the end. Gathering together for encouragement. I don't need you here. You need to be here. Right? Like, you need to be here to sustain your Christian faith by receiving encouragement from other believers. Right? I don't need you to be here to, to, to listen to my sermon. I do need you to be here to encourage me, though, if I'm going to endure in the faith. We lead through God's word. I, I, I hope that gives you confidence that you can obey the things that we ask of you because it comes from God's word. But like we said, some elders can go rogue in their, go rogue in their reasoning. They can go rogue in their living. They can go rogue in their teaching. Acts chapter 20, verse 30. Just verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I mean, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 13, there's that, there's that reminder that, man, don't listen to the false teachers, listen to your, your, your leadership, right? Like, like, don't listen to the false teachings and wander and drift from the faith. Listen to your teachers. That, that's kind of echoed here again in Acts 20. But then verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And he even introduces the idea that amongst your elders, you could have some false teachings spring up. Right? He says, from amongst yourselves, he's, he's talking to the leadership, pay careful attention to yourselves, to the flock that God's given you, guard them against fierce wolves from the outside then he cautions them from among your own selves there could arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them so yes obey your leaders but man you've got to consider and evaluate the teachings of your leadership to make sure that it should be obeyed which to me kind of leaves it in a, in a precarious situation here we are saying trust the leadership right follow the leadership obey the leadership but know that sometimes we may not be trustworthy we 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 may not be worth obeying obeying and we may not be worth following that that's hard to then walk out and say okay i'm going to obey my leaders because there's the real possibility that we're because we're fallible we may wander from being the type of people that you should listen and trust and obey that's why i love the application that i've put here because it comes directly from john piper's assessment of this passage Here's what he says. A church should have a bent towards trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions towards their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith, and you should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. And it's, it's, it's soft language here, and he says it's, it's soft language because it admits that elders are fallible. 
but the church should have good leadership that's worth following. Right? So it's not obey your leaders at all costs, all the time, anytime. There's this scriptural mandate that you're supposed to evaluate your leadership constantly. I mean, if we wander from the faith, stop listening to us, stop imitating us, stop trusting us. But I think those cases should be, will be few and far between. It's part of the reason why a plurality of elders, I think, is so important. The guy yesterday was asking me, he's like, what, what really led you to even thinking about elders? Because I was telling him about our elders and our deacons and how our, our church leadership structure um, works. And he said, you know, I had a guy talking to me about elders. He said, but I come from a, a background where I think the deacons in our church functioned that way. And I said, you probably did. I said, I did too. I said, the deacons acted like elders. I said, the problem was we used the qualification for deacon when we brought those people into that position and then asked them to function like elders. I said, that, that, that's, com- that's completely an error, right? Like there's different qualifications for elder and deacon. And so what a lot of churches have unfortunately done, they've asked their deacons based on the qualifications of a deacon to act like an elder, right? But I was talking to him about just the plurality of elders um, in, our, in our church and, and why that's so important is because if I ever deviate, we've at least got two men in place that can help catch that before you suffer from it. It's why we ask guys like Rob and Sean and Spencer to be our elders for our church, even though they were at Snowbird. We asked them to be our elders for our church until we could raise up more elders to come alongside of me. Because if I deviated from the faith, I wanted them to catch it before you were ever harmed by it. Right? Like we want it to be such a comfortable response for you to read this passage and say, yes, I want to do that. Because the leadership in our church, it's trustworthy. It loves Jesus and wants us to be like Jesus. It teaches us God's word faithfully. Why would we not want to obey them? If their motive is for me to make it to the end and to endure and to persevere, why would I not want to do what they're asking me to do? They're going to give an account for my soul. Man, surely they're taking their decision-making seriously. Surely they're thinking through when they meet together what is best for us when they come and ask something of us because their motive is not for shameful gain. It's not to domineer with our authority. It's for you to find joy in Jesus. That's what I love about this. It's a soft description of the language here that you should have a bent towards trusting us. That should be your natural thing to do, to trust us. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions towards the goals that we set, the direction that we try to provide. You should want to imitate our faith. You should have a happy inclination to comply with our instructions based on this passage. Also realizing, man, I need to keep them under, under um, examination constantly, though, because they are sinful. They are fallible. Man, I hope that we continue to be the type of men that you have this type of attitude towards. All right, our family worship questions for this week. Number one, why should we be thankful for church leadership? couple of questions for you to discuss with your kids. Why should we be thankful for church leadership? We've talked about that already today. Hopefully you can pass that on to your kids. Number two, what are some things we can do to obey church leadership? What are some things that our church leaders have asked us to do that we as a family can do in response as an act of obedience? All right. Again, we'll have our application Sunday next week. Um, We'll recap some of the things that we've been talking about over the past month and a half. And then the following Sunday as we get into um, the month of December, 
we'll jump back into Revelation chapter 12. I told you I wanted to hold off on Revelation chapter 12 because I do think we've been talking about a lot of the future stuff. Revelation 12 kind of jumps back into the past, I think, with Jesus' first coming. And so I think that'll be an appropriate place for us to get back into as we get into December and into the Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we just praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the local church. We're thankful that we don't have to um, strive to follow you as individuals, that you have allowed us to gather with other believers, to be connected to your body through a local body. Father, I'm thankful that you raise up leadership within the church, that you've gifted leadership to the church for good purposes, that there's an advantage to having leadership. God, I pray as a member of that leadership team, that we would be faithful to be an advantage here. That we would be an advantage in the way that we teach. In the motives that we demonstrate with our teaching. That we would be uh, an advantage to this church in the type of life that we, that we put out there as a, as a means, as an example to follow, to imitate. That, that would be an advantage to this church, to have us present for people to follow after as we follow Christ. God, help us to be an advantage to this church in that we can call them and ask them to do things that will result, will result in their perseverance. God, we don't want anybody to drift away from the things that they've heard. We don't want them to drift away from your word. We want to see them make it to the end. We want to know that on that day our labor has not been in vain that we didn't run in vain or labor in vain, that, that people from this church will stand with us at Christ's return. God, help us to be faithful, to be able to give a, a good account for the souls that you've entrusted to us on that day. God, I pray that our church family would see that there's a, there's a, a greater advantage when they respond to the leadership being given to them, that that's an advantage to them for us to be able to lead with joy, for them to experience all the benefits that come from leadership. God, I pray that you would guard and protect our leadership from, uh, from sinful motives, from sinful choices, from, from false teaching. God, protect us from those things so that we can continue to lead well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.